You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek, and I've got my co-host, my partner in crime, my buddy, Ryan. How you doing? Hi. Hi. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. How you been? You know, surviving, just like all the rest of us, everybody (laughs) in the world. Ideally. Yeah. 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 Everybody who's not dead. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so what are we doing? We, we, we talk Nicholas Cage movies, Nick Cage. He is our man. We review his films and talk about them in great detail. And this week we are talking about the 2021 flick prisoners of the ghost land, which is noted as a fantasy horror thriller. This and... was one that I had been wanting to see. There are a few Nick Cage movies that came out in 2021. I believe jujitsu is another one. Maybe that came out. Around the same time. Around the same take. time. Yeah. That's another one I'm looking forward to seeing because they just sounded so wacky that I figured they had to be really good. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu was 2020, technically. Oh, okay. Yeah, around the same time. Yeah. Yeah, so this one is basically just real short synopsis. A notorious criminal must break an evil curse in order to rescue an abducted girl who has mysteriously gone missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a pretty reasonable movie from that description. Yeah, I was originally confused by the abducted girl who has gone missing because she's really gone missing twice is really what's happened in this movie. But yeah, it stars Nick Cage, of course, and Sophia Butella, who I am a fan of. Um, And those are really the two kind of names that I think most people would recognize. Yeah, I don't think they would recognize anybody else. Yeah, so... Uh, the movie was directed by Sion Sono, and in fact, it was delayed a full year because the director had a heart attack and they had to hold off on production. So this one was a little long in the making. And yeah, so the way we do this, Ryan takes notes. He's very, uh, you know, studious and I drink soda and then we talk about his notes. Right. And I got to be honest on this one, there was so much stuff going on. And I can only write so fast. I had to like pace myself and not not necessarily take a note of every single thing that I really <laughs> wanted to because I this podcast would be three hours uh, if I notated literally everything. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I okay. also think that it would be impressive if you could notate everything because there are some things that I, I might consider inexplicable. <laughs> Well, and that that would be why I would notate it, because I want to discuss why the fuck it's in this movie. And there's a lot of that already in here that I did get down. Good, good. I will say during this this movie, I had no idea. I didn't watch a trailer or anything. I mean, I had heard about it and heard the synopsis. I heard a different synopsis. Oh, okay. The one I heard had something about a leather suit, explosive leather suit. And I was like, okay, Nick Cage in an explosive leather suit. I'm definitely wanting to see that. And this is way weirder (laughs) than I thought it would be. I'm getting that. that, It seems to be a pretty regular thing, actually. Like, directors just get Nick Cage and, like, decide they need to just go crazy when they have him. When, in fact, some of his best stuff is, you know, dialed back. Yeah. A few notches from full cage. Yeah, man. This this is a this is a strange one. Uh, and to be fair, the writer uh, Riza 
Safi, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong, spent 17 years trying to get this movie made. And it was originally supposed to film in Mexico. They had to move it to Japan after the director, I said, had that heart attack. Uh, It's just kind of a wild ride to get this movie produced. It was produced, by the way, uh, by XYZ was one of the production companies. They also produced Mandy um, as well as a couple other films. So there's a little bit of a connection there. There's yeah, I mean, thematically, I feel like there's and and cinematically, there's connection to several other movies we've watched. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I will get into that. Okay, so my first note for Prisoners of the Ghost Land, um, so many intros. There's like ten different distinct title screens for this movie, and it probably has to go with the you said it took seventeen years or whatever to make. It probably had to do with the fact that he had to get funding from a totally large group of people. And that's why there's so many intro screens. There are a ton of production companies involved in this film. Like if you just go on IMDb, there are seven, eight, there are eight production companies attached to this movie. Yeah. What a nightmare that must've been getting things (laughs) approved by eight different production companies. Whenever you like decided to change something or do something. Right now we've seen a few of these with him before. He's definitely worked with Saturn films and untitled entertainment and X, Y, Z, like I mentioned, but booze, booze, bang, bang was one that I was not familiar with. Mm-hmm. They probably donated like 20 bucks, uh, <laughs> like whatever the minimum was to get their name in the title card. But like the most jarring thing was that some of those production intros had their own music and others didn't so there'd just be randomly some music for 20 seconds before they moved to somebody else's yeah i didn't know if the movie was ever actually going to start i feel like the movie would have been 30 minutes less runtime if they had just taken out the intros maybe it hasn't started yet i don't know i hope (laughs) it has otherwise i've been having like fever dreams since (laughs) since i pressed play um okay so my next note is what the hell is this bank so to start us out, <laughs> if you don't know going into this, which I did not, this is a like, how do I say this nicely? This is like a sty- stylized, I think is the nicest way because that doesn't mean it's good or bad, but stylized mm-hmm. movie. Yes. There's a, there's a very specific vision that one person had and everybody else was probably going, what in the fuck are you on drug wise right now? but you're the person in charge. So we have to do what you say. Uh, I'm guessing that's how it went with the vision. I think that's fair. But th- so the intro is basically this uh, Nick Cage and one other guy that's, you can tell is going to be a bad guy in the very beginning because he just looks like a bad guy. A spoiler alert kind of, um, but he, they go in to rob this bank, but this bank is like no bank that you've ever seen before. Like everything's white. There's a, ice cream gumball machine or something i don't really know like maybe mochi or, or mochi or whatever it's called i, I mean, think I'm it's not... just supposed to be gumballs but they're really weird they're and the really kid weird. there's a kid getting gumballs out of it or whatever it is out of it and he has a littler kid's mask on his the back of his head there's a little bit of that there's another girl in the bank who's wearing the mask like on her face yeah and the kids like offers the evil looking bank robber psycho is his name psycho offers him some like whatever this is gumballs or uh-huh. something uh-huh. and you don't really see what happens at this point but the bank is very stylized very white very like 
you know, uh, like when you see the architect in the matrix or whatever, and it's sort of like the, you know, that kind of Ergo. white walls everywhere, that kind of thing. Right. Is that, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah. I okay. think that that's fair. I also like, and may, maybe it was just me, the little kids wearing this very specific sweater that I swear is from another movie that like an adult wears. And I'm wondering if it was supposed to be like an homage to that, but I can't place it. So I don't know. Did that catch yeah, your eye? No, no, okay. not really. All right. Um, and then we start to get into like the, the meat of this movie. Um, and so my next note is please don't let this be another white savior cage movie because it's, they don't really give a location, uh, but it's very heavily implied that it's somewhere Asian or, you know, well, they, or do they, they give a location? They they never give a location. They, can't, they call it parts of it like the ghost land and... There is the ghost land. And then they do say the name of the town in like the last 30 seconds. It's like of Samurai Town or something, yeah. right? But yeah. like that's at the end of the movie. The movie is over at this point. So it's like... I, I, I think it's supposed to be in Japan because most of the background characters are Japanese. Japanese is is the only other language spoken other than English. Um, and the buildings are like almost like Japanese Western caricature mashups. Yes. So I think it's supposed to be Japan. Yes. But basically every character of significance, except for a couple of exceptions, is a white dude. Well, yeah, but all the black, all the black, all the background characters are seemingly of Asian descent. Like, yes. And a lot of like the people working for the white characters. Yes. Are of Asian descent. Right. Um, yeah. So, yes, it is basically another Nick Cage white savior movie, except that the person that he's helping is also white. I don't really know how this falls into that. I, I <laughs> mean, so for confusing. me, it seems like a white, white, a white, a white savior kind of movie, but it's whatever. white. It's a white savior movie, but the bad guy is also the white guy. Like, there's there's four people in power in this movie. All four of them are white dudes. Yeah. So and the daughter is white, and the and Nick Cage. Yeah. Well, Sophia Boutella is not white. Well, okay, she looked white in the in the movie. I'll say, but she's not. Yeah, uh, I don't recall. Uh, where you know her her background but she's she's not white but like but she's not asian is she not least, i don't think so she didn't she didn't look like she was of asian descent to me but maybe she is i don't want to assume but either about either way like the four yeah. the four white dudes are the four people who have some semblance of power or control in yes. the film and everybody else is working for them basically in some capacity yeah, yeah. um so yes white savior movie maybe i don't really know what what the qualifications are it is a white guy that is a savior in a primarily uh japanese seemingly uh area so take that for how you will um and then they there's a i can't remember who's walking but somebody's walking by a bunch of uh women that seem to be behind bars some of them some of them are not behind bars and Uh so my next note was are these girls in jail which Yes, Ryan. It's called Prisoners of the Ghostland. So I assume that they are prisoners. So this is where Except it gets... this isn't actually the Ghostland. This is right. the this is Samurai, Samurai Town. Town. Yeah, but they are still prisoners, just in a different way. So like it's supposed. But they to... are behind bars. They are. It's like it's like 
it's I, I think it was supposed to be a caricature of like a red light district kind of thing yeah I, I think like so little is really explained and the stuff that is explained makes so little sense so i'm not really yes sure. and we're not going to make sense of we're not going to attempt to because we'll be doing this for hours if You're we right. have to try and make sense of it um so yes there's I'm sure there's deeper themes. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not great at picking up stuff like that. Derek is way smarter than me, so I rely on him to do <laughs> that. But even then, he he's struggles with it sometimes. So I don't think that there was necessarily much in the way of deeper <laughs> themes in this movie. I think the director wanted people to think that there was deeper themes in this movie. There's a lot of focus on time and clocks. Um, yes. Like that seems to be a theme, but I didn't really get any kind of message regarding, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't a, you know, like the G.I. Joe thing where they like have a message each episode that you're supposed to figure out because of the story. I didn't get that. I, I thought I did. And then the movie told me I was wrong later. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, it very was clear. It was clear about what, what it wasn't. Um, yeah. So my next note is what time period is this? Uh, because <laughs> yeah. that's very unclear. Um, well, it's at least the 90s because it seems post-apocalyptic. In a way, right? Like there are like civilizations. There are civilizations. We know that the nineties happened. Yes, but we don't really know anything beyond that. That's about like because we don't really see a lot of technology. No one's got a no. smartphone or even like a cell phone. There's there. a lot of swords. There's a lot and of not not, not swords. A, there's a lot of guns, but like less use than the swords mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess I didn't get a good look in the beginning when when the three women escaped, Sophia Batella and the other two. They do get in a car that looked fairly modern. It was European of some kind, and I'm not sh- I, like I'm not great with European cars. Maybe it was like an Audi or some. Maybe I thought not it was Audi. a Volvo. It could have been a Volvo. Yeah, it had it didn't have the Audi logo. It looked like a 21st century car, though. Maybe a Saab. It kind of looked like a Saab. Shape. Maybe it was a Saab. Yeah, but it was definitely... in any case. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely like late 90s, probably. I don't really know. I don't know European <laughs> cars. I'm really making that up. Um, so yeah, we don't really know what time period it is. It's very ambiguous. Again, it's one of those things that we're not going to like try and explain because they were. The... Okay, so I'm gonna just say that I think this whole movie, they the direct. It felt to me like the director was given a whole bunch of toys. Nick yeah. Cage being one of them, money being one of them, and he's just like, I want to make people feel really weird, and like, the, he's like, what's the weirdest thing we can have in the scene? And he just went with that every time. I mean, because there was fair. no plan. There was no, no plan. Any well, of like, like, so, like for example, let me ask you, how long was Nick Cage like jailed? Jailed. I have no idea. It's ambiguous. We don't know. Okay. Because there's how like much a, time takes place during the whole movie? It said one thing, and then it seems like it's different. I mean, well, like and I guess this is jumping ahead a little bit. When you find out that Sophia Butella's character was a young girl during the bank robbery, so there's like ten years of a jump, give or take, mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we don't know when the cage was arrested, so we don't know if that was his whole time was just in a cell for ten years. Yes, which... I guess we didn't cover that. I mean, he was being held by a sheriff a in sheriff. samurai town yeah and just kind of kept there yeah like you said for an ambiguous so that's why we're in samurai town we're right. kind of seeing like nick cage's character we're kind of seeing samurai town but like he's like he's locked up his hands have obviously been in shackles for a long time he's dirty and gross but he's perfectly shaved his yes. beard is gorgeous his Groomed. beard 
looks so good. Perfectly <laughs> <movie>. groomed. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Like, was he? I, I just honestly like when the movie when the movie begins, I just I just thought it was a couple of days. Yeah, it's not. It's long it's time. Not. It's years. Um, so we still haven't really seen the main crux of the movie yet. But my next <laughs> note is WTF singing heads and holes. So you oh, walk, yeah, they walk weird. are walking by this part, I think in Samurai Town, uh-huh. where there's like 30 holes in a wall that are maybe like the size of a five gallon bucket, if you know how like that circumference, with like uh women's heads poking through with like curtains around them. And so it looks like the heads are just floating and they're like singing and like moving around in, in unison. And like clock heads like they're they're like they're supposed like it's all about clocks all the songs are about clocks. clocks yeah they keep weird sayings about clocks it was creepy i'll say that yeah and i mean it's designed to be i guess a horror movie it wasn't really creepy to me as much as it was just weird yeah like they did it just to be weird I, and i kind of got that same feeling with some of the stuff in dog eat dog and mandy so i mean this wasn't that crazy in the sense that you know they all all these directors that like to work with Nick Cage seem to just want to like have people think they're weird and edgy. Um, but yeah, that was my next note. Well, okay. Weird. And, so then we get introduced to the governor, who is this Colonel Sanders looking person in a full white suit, um uh red gloves, very again, very stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he's in a car driving up with probably 20 girls women all around him clapping and singing just clapping i think no, they, they were they were saying something about go- they were repeating the word governor over and over again and clapping yeah in a rhythm yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so that was my next note why would a governor have clapping girls accompany him and i mean obviously you as you get to know the governor you realize that it's why he does that because he just feels like he owns everything and it's a show of power essentially um, at least that's what I took from it. And so he comes into town and he tells the sheriff to bring bring him to me or something like that. And so they go get Nick Cage and we get our first <laughs> sighting of 50 plus year old Nick Cage butt. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm not sure if that was a stunt butt or not. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was actual. I don't want to get too deep into it, the butt, but uh, there was it, it seemed to me that it was a believable 50 year old man. I, I don't end. see him as being the kind of person who would use a stunt butt. That's just not the the vibe I get from Nick. Fair enough. I mean, we do feel like we know him on a very personal level. So <laughs> that's fair. Um, so then we get like a speech from the governor. Uh, and I I mean, I, I, clearly you feel the same way based on that <laughs> so, that groan. I My next note was, is the governor actor bad on purpose? <laughs> Because, man, I don't even know who this actor is, and I'm sorry. Maybe maybe you were being really good in this movie because you were trying to act like a bad actor. And that's probably very difficult. His name is Bill Bill Mosley, um, mm. who, I mean, I I I don't think I know him from anything. He's really done just like a ton of horror movies. Okay, um, that makes sense because neither of us are very big into horror movies. Yeah, I don't but think he's been in anything else I've ever seen. He basically gives some weird, a weird speech. I don't even remember what it was about necessarily, but he, I don't know. He every every bit of dialogue that this character had 
was seemingly what the writer thought would be the worst thing to say in the circumstance. <laughs> like, what would make this guy... I mean, the only thing he didn't do is twirl his mustache with his fingers. And he did have a mustache, so okay. he could have done that. But it, they basically were going... Like, they had a gist... I'm assuming in the writer's room, they had a gist of what they wanted to be said, the message to come across. And they were like, what's the worst way we can say this? Both in the writing and in the character development. And they tried to do both of those things. Do you not agree with that? Oh, no, no, no. I I, I think that's a very fair assessment. Okay. And do you think he was acting bad on purpose or was he just a bad actor? Here's the thing. I I mean, he's been in like a hundred things. But they're all horror movies. But they're all horror movies. He's notorious for not having necessarily the best actors in horror movies. Not he's, always true. He's been in 121 productions. I mean... So I got to imagine that a lot of this, uh, he was in House of a Thousand Corpses and the Devil's Reject. He plays Otis. So I guess I have seen him. But um, you know, I, I imagine that this was all that stylization, that they were going for like these really weird, over-the-top caricature type characters that like I think they were supposed to be caricatures. But instead of being caricatures of like a real person, they just became like jokes of themselves. Okay. That's that is probably possible. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you're giving the director a lot of credit. Like more credit than what I'm giving him. You you're making it seem like he actually put thought into it. And I'm making well, I, it seem like I think he did put put thought into it. And like like this is coming from someone who has created a lot of failed creative projects. Okay. Just because you put a lot of thought and effort into something doesn't mean that those were good ideas. <laughs> right, that's true. Right, but it doesn't mean you weren't trying. Uh, this movie doesn't come off as lack of effort. It comes off maybe even as trying too hard of like desperation to get this idea out there. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that that's your take on it. I feel like that's a fair take, whether it's true or not. I don't know. We're trying to give the guy credit because... Well, because like yes. this, this director has directed, he's directed 59 movies. And yeah. I can tell you after watching this, how many of those movies I would want to watch, it would be zero. <laughs> that would be the answer. Um, so then we get like, so the governor gives Nick Cage's character this leather suit. Um, and you don't really get to see it at this point. I do think it's worth pointing out at this point. I did see this before the movie that this was the case because I had pulled it up on IMDb, but this movie was actually nominated for best costume design in the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. And so when I saw that before the movie, I was like, these costumes must be pretty decent. Um, and I have to say that I was not a fan of these costumes um, I'm not usually a fan of highly stylized costumes, but like, so Nick Cage's character gets this leather suit and without getting too deep into it, I don't want to jump too far ahead. It has some weird orbs on it. It has like a fallout pit boy in the arm and it has a neck bomb, like a neck piece in the front, a collar piece. Other than that, it's kind of an ill-fitting leather suit. I I wonder if it was nominated for the mannequins because those were cool creations for sure but i mean i guess they were costumes technically right 
because that's my only thought is like those at least like that's something I haven't seen before and that was creepy and kind of cool yeah so I could at least understand them nominating that but yeah, I mean the suit, the, the leather suit that that Nick wears. Which, by the way, we haven't said his character name because he doesn't have one. He's just referred to as Hero, right? Um, like yeah, it's it's not it's not good. Like yeah, it's, it's in just... it. Yeah, so I do want to say that before he gets the suit, he's uh they he's basically standing there naked. Yeah, he has like a cloth like underwear Diaper. on, but then yeah. that gets removed. It does. Yeah. Uh, and he's surrounded by like everybody in this town, including like schoolgirls and things like that. Uh, it's a very weird, uncomfortable scene. Yeah. Um, there's a woman who's sketching it as if she's like in a courtroom or something. Right. And she starts erasing it so she can sketch him nude instead of yes. in the once underwear. the diaper is removed. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, yeah, it's strange. And she seems very young. I don't know. It was a little weird. And there's a fight scene in here too that didn't really make any sense to me. Um, most of the fight scenes in this movie did not make any sense to me. Yeah. So like, so they're surrounded by like everybody in town and like, so everyone's got a gun out on Nick cage. They, they're, they're all like just ready to shoot him. Even though if, if everybody starts shooting, then like half of these people are going to die. But yeah, he like kind of sort of fights some of them, even though they all have guns. None of them, like you said earlier, none of them use them. They just use their swords. (laughs) And there's this one swordsman that works for the, governor that is apparently the best of all the swordsmen and Yasu, his sisters Yasujiro. yeah and oh that's another thing i really hated the way the white the governor said his name so like i think it's made he said so he has like a southern accent i really think that there's some that he they were trying to get like the colonel sanders vibe going i mean yeah, with I the so. southern accent and the white suit i don't really know why it's not really relevant to the movie at all but uh he well, says Yasujiro with a like southern drawl, and it makes it sound almost like he's. I don't know. It doesn't sound right. It sounds. Yeah. It sounds. It's off-putting the way it sounds. I I think like, but what poor pronunciation. The governor to me came off like a plantation owner. Yes, basically, I right agree. is what they were going for. So this to me is like it's like a really bad, like Django knockoff. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> Right. You know, you think about uh, like Leo's character in Django, yeah. uh, like that's what the governor was supposed to be. I right. Think. But they couldn't afford Leo. Right. But Leo was busy that week. So right, right. <laughs> I'm sure he would have jumped to the chance to work with Nicolas Cage. Um, so, yeah, he's naked and then there's a fight scene and Yasujiro goes and kills a bunch of guys for some reason. I'm not really sure why he works for the governor. Seemingly all those people there were like underneath the governor. It, it, it was I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm too stupid to figure out what was going on, but well, no, because like he and Nick Cage keep having these moments where they, because Yasujiro never speaks, so yeah. they keep he and, and Hero keep having these moments where they like look at each other knowingly, and so like I don't know if they were supposed to have. Already... It seemed like it was trying to imply something, but right? I don't really get what what it was. Maybe it was supposed to be like warriors respect each other, but Nick Cage's character was not really a warrior. So, in fact, he gets his ass kicked like 20 times in this movie. But he's supposed the very to be end. a warrior, though, because that's what the governor is like hiring him for. No, he's, he's a bank. He's a bank robber. That's what we saw, but that's not what they said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I okay, don't know, we're man. we're just going in circles about this, but yes. Oh. So yes, there's a fight, and he's naked. Um, <laughs> and they're they're already talking about the creepy group singing. 
Yeah. So while he's putting on the leather suit, yeah, this whole group starts singing the same song and it's really super weird and off-putting, which most of this movie seems like it's just meant to make you feel uncomfortable and just be slightly off-putting and that's how they got the horror title, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, so he puts on the full suit uh, and he leaves it unzipped down to like his navel for a while, which I'm okay with. It's the evil Knievel look. Um, yeah, and so the governor explains that these, like, red orbs all over his suit uh, are mini explosives, and that they'll be activated if he does certain things. For example, he has one on each testicle that if he gets an erection, or like, I thought it was more like if he tries to rape the person, yeah, then he gets a gets an explosive, but I guess it's just like if he gets aroused. I don't. It was. I was a little ambiguous too. We'll get into that more later. Trust me. Of course, that comes back into play. But then there's some on his arms. Mm-hmm. Um, He's got one on that, each arm, one on each testicle, and one around his neck. Yes. Well, it's not an orb on his neck though. No. It's just like a, it, there is a bomb there though. Yeah. Um. And the arms. I think the condition was like if he's aggressive, aggressively like grabbing at somebody. They go no. Off. Just just a woman. A, defense, oh, just a defenseless woman. woman. Somehow the suit knows. Yeah, I was going to say, the tech woman. is really all over the place in this movie. Because he fights lots of people, and right, it's fine. But he gets mad at her at one point, and, you know, that's a problem. Right. And so the governor explains all this. Nick Cage clasps the neck piece in dramatically. And the governor goes, looks like it fits you well, but, like, when you see shots of him wearing it, it doesn't look like it fits him at all. It looks like they made it for an actor that's 30 pounds heavier than him. And it's a leather suit or probably not, so not actually, it probably wasn't actually leather, but uh, you know, leather looking material. So it's not like, you know, I don't know. It's not super stretchy or forgiving, but I, if you made the costume for that movie, I'm sorry. I'm sure that's what you were told to do. And, you know, I'm sure the construction was wonderful, but yeah, it did not fit him super well. And then they bring out his car. They're giving him a car to do this. And basically they say, you get five days to go and rescue my daughter. And uh, if you don't get her in five days and the next thing is going to blow up, you're going to die. And if you have uh, my daughter speak her name into the, the pit boy on your arm, then you get two more days. Did I cover it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so then they drive the car out. And they're like really proud of it. It does like a drift. And <laughs> well, if you watch the last episode or listen to the last episode of the Gone in 60 Seconds one, you know Derek and I are, are car enthusiasts to varying degrees. And we're both fans of Toyota as a manufacturer. And this was a Toyota Celica. It was like a, yeah. a, a sixth generation, uh, like 94, to 90, 94 to 99 was when they made Something that like one. That, yeah. Or 94, 98. And uh, yeah, and I thought maybe it was like the GT4 version that was all wheel drive and turbo, but nope, it was like Just the regular drive. I'm pretty sure this was like black. one of the people that worked on the on the movie's cars. It was yeah, like I mean, their probably. personal car because it's it, not it, like an exotic or rare car. No, but yeah, it's it's an Im- it would be considered an import. You know, it's the it's a right. Right, it's driver, an import. So, it's like, an import here, but in right. Japan, it would not be. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, so it must have just been one of their cars. But I yeah. got excited because I, I, I personally love Celicas. I'm like, oh, cool, a Celica. Yeah, that was my, uh, that was my next note. He's driving a Celica, and then he gets into the Celica, and then immediately jumps out of the Celica and starts riding a bike. So my next note was he's driving a Celica. Nope, never mind. Yep. And he rides the bike for an, a while, an, an undetermined amount of time until <laughs> Yasujiro. 
Yeah, until Yasujiro sh- in a in a bell, but Yasujiro shows up uh, with the car again, and then like stares at him and gets out, and then Nick Cage drives away in the car again. Well, because they have um, another knowing, you know, look at each other, and Nick Cage just goes, "I guess I don't have a lot of time, huh?" Yeah, because he was <laughs> apparently right. gonna ride his car or ride his bike all the way to the ghost lands, which is an indeterminate amount of distance. So it. May or may not have taken a long time. It's hard to say. It's, it's unclear. <laughs> yeah. So then I put back in the Celica and it's wrecked because he immediately wrecks immediately. it two seconds later, which is funny because actually, like, if you see shots of it later in the movie, it actually isn't wrecked. It's like they carefully drove this car up this Very. way. You can see the car where it's like supposed to be wrecked and it's pristine, like it's waxed, it's clean. <laughs> There's not even dust on it. I'm like, man, it was actually in pretty good shape. I was surprised. But it's somebody's anyway. real car. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were just like, we'll be extra careful with it. I know there's a wreck scene, but we're just gonna like drive it up on this foam pad. Yeah, it'll uh, be fine. It'll be it'll be fine, I promise. Um yeah, this uh, my next note is this movie makes dog eat dog seem normal. <laughs> which may not mean much to you if you didn't watch Dog <sighs> Eat Dog, but being as Derek and I watched it and reviewed it, uh and realized and saw how weird it was. That's saying a lot because we talked a lot about how weird that movie was. I feel bad for how much I trashed on that movie. <laughs> after seeing this one? After seeing this one. Uh, I will say that we do get way more like caginess in this one than we, we did do. in Doggy Dog. The, in Doggy Dog, the craziness was not around Nick Cage's character. It was around uh, Willem Dafoe's character mostly. And this one, it was definitely, it was around everybody. Like, let's get real. But Cage, you know, really does his job in this stuff. Um. Random creepy person group shot. There was like a, a shot of like ruins with like five random people dressed in white with like weird face paint on. Yeah, and, we see that exact same shot like three or four times. We do, and it's kind of explained kind that of. those are the ghosts of the ghost land or whatever. But at this point, it's literally just a shot, like with no context to either of the shots before or after. It's like a five second shot of these people, and then it goes to the next scene that has no relevance to that. So well, it's like, very out of place. There's the ghosts of the ghost land. There's the prisoners of the ghost land. And then there's like the zombies of the ghost land. And I guess right. they're a different group. I guess the relevance to it, you don't really know in that moment. But after when Nick Cage wrecks the Celica uh, and he like falls out of it, and he's injured. He seems to, when he's unconscious, have visions of these ghosts. Yes. And they're not just those five creepy people. There's more later. But in this moment, you don't know that's what's happening. Like this right. a vision or whatever. There's nothing, you know, when you get the dream sequence, like wavy lines and stuff. There was none of that. It was just another the, sharp cut. I think that's a good way to describe the movie. In the moment, you don't get it. Right. And you still don't <laughs> get it at the end of the movie. I mean, you understand it a little better, but you just don't understand what the whole thing was. Okay, so then we get the 10-minute shot of Nick Cage being wheeled through the Ghostlands. Bring out your dead. Honestly, like, this movie, if they didn't just have, like, long shots of people traveling, I feel like it would have been a, I don't know, 70-minute movie, maybe? It wasn't that long to begin with. It's only, like, an hour 45. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it would have been pretty sh- much shorter without, I mean, I feel like it was literally, like, eight minutes of him on a cart, like the bring out your dead type cart from, from Money Python, but him just like laying there and getting a, a essentially an unconscious, semi-conscious tour of the ghost lands. 
It was just yeah. like a way to show off random set pieces and random costumes for so many people in costume, man. Like I'm not, and like most of these are not good looking costumes. Like they're supposed to kind of look like like trash people. Right. Right. right? Like this is like this wasteland that they're all trapped in, supposedly. And there's a person named Ratman here. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. That's his name. Ratman and his rat men. Yeah. Uh And Bob and his sidekick. (laughs) Oh, Um, man. But yeah, yeah, literally like just a long shot. Not like not like a single take shot. There's a lot of cuts, but like just a shot of him being pulled through. I feel like it was real time. Yeah. (laughs) like it was you know the actual amount of time that it took for his character to travel that far is how long that shot was i feel like and there's another person on a cart next to him and it's a woman it's one of the three women from the beginning of the movie but that was with the governor's daughter granddaughter granddaughter yeah yeah but even though like that's not even true bernice is her name sophia butella's character and so this other girl like i don't know that we ever learned her name and i don't really know what happens to her after this scene <laughs> she just is kind of gone again but she was there yeah for a minute she was um then i have it seems like english should not be the primary language here uh-huh uh-huh yeah mm-hmm. but that's a similar one to what we had in outcast where everybody spoke crystal clear english at least in this movie there's like sometimes they speak japanese and sometimes they speak english but it seems like everybody here speaks english despite where the the where this movie takes place you there know, was some, there was some bad stuff in there like there's there's a point where nick cage he's you know he in that fights or first fight scene he's like saying hi yeah but he's like hi fucking yeah like that's a quote from the movie yeah it was i don't think that was like a nick cage ad lib either i feel like that was actually written like somebody's like what do we want nick cage to say oh yeah <laughs> we're gonna tell him to say hi fucking yeah anyway um so then he like it's conscious again and he's in the middle of like the town square with the guy that runs this which is a really odd looking guy another white guy that mm-hmm. runs this whole town um and he like reads plays while being walked or, or reads books while being walked around like out loud he doesn't just read them to himself he's standing on this like trailer uh-huh enclosed almost like an enclosed like theater stage on wheels and he's reading books out yeah, loud yeah. to people that will listen and he's apparently the leader of this yeah and nick cage is very aggressive at this point and they say he is this the point where they talk about his thick red blood so this woman comes up to him and sees that he's bleeding and starts yelling about his thick red blood and it being a prophecy and time will continue so so one of the key aspects here is in this town is a demolished building with a giant clock and a bunch of people have a rope attached to the minute hand of this clock and they're holding it back to stop time from moving constantly there's always like 12 or 13 guys on this thing well probably 12 to fit with the clock theme probably um, (laughs) holding this one hand back from Mm -hmm. moving and every time you're in this town it's it's in the background or whatever these guys are constantly pulling against this clock so so for the record what i thought at this point was that this had some connection to like World War II and the dropping of the two bombs. Um, and they were trying to make some type of, you know, statement about that and the impact it had. And I was like, okay, so let's let's see where they're going with that. Then that's some heavy stuff that they're dealing with. And then that's not what they were doing. Not at all. At all. 
No, you were trying to be thoughtful, and that's not at all. Yeah. Yeah, not at all what they were doing, sadly. Would have been a better movie. So then, like, he starts getting accosted by all these people trying to, you know, explain the prophecy and everything else to him. And he just wants to find the girl because he's on limited time. And he gets in this weird-ass fighting stance. So my next one is WTF fight stance where he's got... It almost looks like, you know, when uh, Neo in the Matrix goes into the monkey style. Uh, well, maybe I know what that is. Maybe like he has like the one arm above his head and like one arm below and he's like in his stomach. And it's just a really odd fighting stance. It's like Nick Cage saw that scene. He's like, I like that, but I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> because what he did was like not a fighting stance for anything ever. Um, and it was just really weird. It stood out because I'm assuming it had fight choreographers on the movies so at some point, but... Well, so I know for you, for those who you know might not have heard our our older show, Screen Heroes, like I know Ryan, you care a lot about fight choreography, mm-hmm, whether that's mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. you know like martial arts films or something like you know Daredevil. Uh, I gotta be honest, man. Like I don't know that they had a fight choreographer. Like, I think they did. They had they had some of the fights that were interestingly choreographed, and that it's not something that somebody would have just like come in on like that that wasn't a choreographer and been like we should do this okay so some of the stuff i mean i feel like for maybe not every fight and i doubt there wasn't really a fight in this scene so maybe they didn't have him on set that day somebody say hey you shouldn't do that um (laughs) but but like the ending fight scenes and some of the sword play there was interesting things that happened with that uh choreography wise so i feel like there had to have been a choreographer Maybe not, but it seemed like there was to me, okay. um, at least for some of it. Um, so yeah, what WTF fight stance? And then I said, "Oh, and he found the girl already." Because two seconds later, they're like, "Oh, she's right over there." <laughs> and then he walks over. He's like, "Oh, there she is." So I, I do think it's worth noting that she is one of the mannequins, and why that's weird is that basically there's this dude who takes a, seemingly just the women. And hides them in mannequin pieces. So they're like entombed inside of a mannequin in a bunch of different like. Well, they're not really. Yeah, I mean, yes, they're entombed, but they can. The pieces are like come off very easily. So it's not like they're right. cast into this. But like it's implied that there's some type of power in this place and that they lose something. So she's Bernice has lost her voice. initially, Which is the one thing he needs to be able to get two extra days. Of exactly. Course. Right. And so, like, but, like, she also, like, doesn't seem to have any willpower to remove the mannequin parts. And that's the scene where he gets angry with her because she won't, like, help him remove the mannequin parts. So, yeah, he he finds, basically, he goes through, like, three different, because they're all covered in these mannequin, like, faces and stuff. And he starts taking pieces off of them to see if one of them's her because he has this picture of her that he was given by the governor. And he finally finds her. And so he kind of, like, picks her up and carries her to the cart that he wheeled in on mm-hmm. and takes her out of the town. Now, remember, at this point, we've been told that you can never leave the ghost land. Right. She will get you, is what we were told. She right. will get you if you try and leave the ghost land. I just want to point that out because that never happens. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like a, a rumor that never pays off in the movie. It's very weird. Um, but when he gets her out to where his Celica is, uh, wreck parked, parked wreck parked, <laughs> uh, he starts taking the mannequin pieces off of her and screaming at her, take it off, like over and over, take it off, take it off. And she's not actually taking anything off. 
um and he's taking it off her and at some point he like tries to give her some water and she just has her mouth open and the water she's not swallowing the water and it like pours out of her mouth and he starts seemingly getting aroused well we only know this because the beeping starts on his suit and that's his warning he gets a chance to like back off before one of the little thingies blows up yes and so then I never thought I would say this in any of the movies that we watched. But then his testicle gets blown up. But not blown up, just like... Blown off. Blown off? Because then he holds it up. And I think he screams testicle or something. I don't really know. He, like, holds it up. And you see, like, like, there's a close-up shot of, like, seemingly a bloody testicle although if you didn't see the scene before you might have thought it was like a bloody eyeball or something like that mm-hmm. um, well he, he does scream testicle in a weird way because he's trying to mimic the way the governor said it and the governor says testicle in a really weird way yeah like which i did was not no, part then, of his then, accent then, that's just... that's later in the movie that is not now he does not yell testicle right now i don't think i do have that as a note later okay. in the movie that he screams that but fair enough um yeah so yeah he 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 has his testicle blown up and we get like weird nick cage faces as he's like in pain and passing out kind of like dancing weird because you know yeah one testicle he passes out for a while and then we see the bank heist for probably the third or fourth time at this point um and this time we start to get more each time it shows that it shows a little bit more right and in this one uh, we see that like the the psycho guy kills the or shoots the kid, and then Nick Cage and the and Psycho start getting in a fist fight, and it's that was my next note. This is the slowest fist fight ever because it's like two fifty year old man's hands uh, <laughs> men are like just doing the best they can to have intense action, you know, fighting, and and they. It is, is ends up being a very boring fight scene because they're both moving very slowly. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, and so they stumble out into the street. This is keep in mind, this is the bank heist that got him put in the, the both of them put in the positions that they're in. Um, and so they stumble out into the street and the police to or they go to run away, I think. So they, somehow they end up in the street, yeah. and the police show up and a crowd of people watching. And for some reason, the police start shooting directly at Nick Cage and Psycho, and the crowd is right behind them. So, of course, the the bullets miss them and hit the people behind them. Well, Psycho gets shot to death. He Not to death. Yeah. Oh, I guess he is dead. Yeah, he dies. Yeah, he gets shot to death. And, uh, and... But not Hero... And no, Hero is he runs and gets away because the police are distracted by the innocent people he just killed. Even though at some point he gets arrested, we still never find out when. I'm assuming we're seeing all this over and over again because he relives it every time he's unconscious or sleeping or whatever. Um, but that's just I, again, he, I'm putting more into the movie that was probably well, no, because th- this is another example of Nick Cage's character is a bad guy, but he's not as bad as everybody else around him. So he's the hero. So in this case, he's a bank robber. He's not like Psycho. Psycho wants to shoot kids and these innocent people. Nick Cage just wants the bank money. Yeah, exactly. Right. 
But th- this is where we find out that Sophia Boutella's character, Bernice, get, gets shot in that moment. So she's got a scar on her leg as an adult. And then we find out she got shot when she was like 10. Yeah, very or young. Or something. She was pretty young. Um, and that's when the governor shows up and pats her head with his red glove. And right. we don't get to see his face because they weren't going to de-age him. So. <laughs> exactly. So then he wakes up kind of dazed and sees that uh bernice is still just sitting on the cart like waiting for him essentially and uh he goes up to her angry because his testicle just got blown off and uh starts grabbing her and like you know trying to get her to go in the car with him and then his arm blows up so not as bad as the testicle situation no it's just like crippled it a little bit but he still seems to have full function later in the movie so i don't really know it's implied that it's supposed to disable his arm but his hand gets all really funky and it's kind of hard to see but in some of the shots when he's got his little metal arm sword brace thing hey spoilers but he's got like funky fingers wrapped around it that's true you know but he can still swing his arm around like it's fine i don't know man so then they get brought back into the town i think nick cage passes out again when his arm blows up or something yeah and she starts to panic because she needs to say her name but she's lost her voice so she gets her voice back and it's not working for the first few tries but then it works yes it works it was i was super worried that it wasn't gonna work but no it worked and so yeah they are back in the ghost lands now and my next note for that is painted picture exposition they have a bunch of pictures painted just for this occasion so that they can explain the entire backstory of the city to any strangers that might show up they can have like a little play and yeah the play within the movie man yeah so we get painted picture exposition which doesn't actually explain anything i don't even remember what the exposition was about but it's about the building so basically it was a plant it was a factory that dealt with nuclear waste and there was a truck that had a collision with a prison transport and everybody died Okay, that's cheerful. Um, so then we, yeah, we get that, and then it cuts back to uh, the governor back at Samurai Town, um, having like his harem of women all around him, and just having a grand old time. And he tells, I don't know, who, is this other person also a granddaughter? There's this other girl that's acting weird this whole movie, right? That like... he travels with, that's very close to Bernice. Yeah, it's really unclear. Like that's Nancy is her okay. name, but like none of these women are actually his relatives. These are all women that he's abducted, right. but he calls Bernice, his granddaughter and Nancy is just kind of there, there also too, but she's like actively kind of cracking as the yes. movie progresses. She acts very weird. Um, and he tells her to come sit on grandpa's lap, which is always fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, so that just gives you more character development for the governor Um, and then he has his guys make it rain on the women in jails and it looks like american dollar bills being thrown around so i'm assuming that they use american currency wherever they're at it's a weird thing not not really something that we need to not something that we need to like really dive into um then my next note is rose decapitation uh so yosujiro has to punish this girl they get information about bernice i believe correct me if i'm wrong this girl tries to give information about bernice Mm -hmm. 
and the, he she can't give the information that the governor wants. And so they give her a rose and she keeps like rubbing it on her face and he has Yosijiro decapitator. Basically, like her head doesn't come off, but he... we don't see her head come off, but it's implied because the head of the rose comes off and then there's blood next to it. Oh, uh, I thought he just slit her throat. Uh, I mean, it was a full katana slash, it seems seemingly. Okay. I mean, fair enough. But maybe I don't know why the head of the rose would come off. She wasn't holding it like directly in front of her throat. So, yeah, no, that, that's fair. That's fair. I, I took it as a full decapitation, but yeah, it is unclear, I suppose, on that point. And then we get to see Nick Cage. I believe at this point he's walking into town and back into Samurai Town. Well, because they have like a, a montage first where they're going to like gear up and escape oh, ghost, yeah. the ghost land together. So they have this yeah, montage yeah. where they're building random stuff and armor asks, and cars. Yeah. He asks Ratman if he has fuel for all the cars. And I thought we were going to have like a driving scene where like all these trucks and stuff roll into Samurai Town. None it didn't of that even happens. seem like any of the people from that town get came with him it seemed no. like it was just him and uh and bernice. bernice but they, they're getting ready to leave as a group and then the ghosts show back up and it's yeah. it's psycho psycho's the lead ghost he's the zombie and the ghosts are the dude. there's like a warlord looking guy that's psycho. also that that ended up being psycho i thought he was well, just part of the gang psycho is the one who's got like the zombie messed up face right which it shows but the uh the warlord is like usually standing on the ground while he's up like above oh the guy yeah the we, i mean so what we learn is, is we that just see like of, silhouettes of most yeah. of the ghosts so the only one that ever really shows up close is the psycho guy with the messed up face because we learned that they were all prisoners and that bus that they were on collided with the the waste truck and so they all died in the crash yes. there's always yeah. like a bus behind them and that psycho right. guy is like driving the bus yeah and so that yeah they all gear up <laughs> but it ends up being uh just well because he, he has a face-to-face with psycho and they have a nice little oh, chat yeah. psycho's all mad but they have a little talk and then he forgives him and then all is forgiven as it usually goes you know yeah. when you get somebody killed um so yeah then him and bernice head back to town and you get like this, I mean, a lot of this is very Western inspired, I think, because you get like the hero walking into the town to duel yeah. with the uh, bad guy. But it, with this, you got the old one testicle limp is what I wrote <laughs> in my notes because Nick Cage is like, like, like majorly limping because he's got one, one testy now. And the other one just recently in the past, like two days got blown off. Mm-hmm. And his arms all jacked up. His so arms got, all like, jacked up. Weird kind of like stiff arm and he's got a broken old football helmet on his head well no so he puts that on and then almost immediately takes it back off again well that's uh isn't that back at the ghost lands because he he has it it? on for the fight yeah does he okay yes because i will touch on that okay um and then we get like this weird scene where we just see like his face doing crazy things for a -hmm. while Mm -hmm. so my next note says cage face exclamation point and then the next note is nightmare face because it starts to go really weird and it starts to be up there for so long that it stopped being excited, exciting and started being scary. <laughs> it, dude, there are so many moments that are awkward where like I'm watching this movie by myself in my basement, but I just kind of like wish I had somebody to look over to with like a like what the what the hell is going on oh yeah well i did watch it with somebody and i had plenty of those moments just for you also i mean i was thinking about you knowing you're watching it by yourself thank you thank you Um, and then my next one is creepy mannequin people i don't know what 
that necessarily the context of that was, yeah, but I, I think know. we just saw a shot of a bunch of creepy mannequin people. Maybe. And then we get a motivational speech. <laughs> uh, oh, this is before Nick Cage goes into the town, I guess, because he, oh, he gives like okay. a motivational speech before they leave the Ghostlands. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was so the helmet. Is, okay, that's why I was thinking. That's the helmet when he thing, put on the helmet and he took it off. Yeah, he, he tries it on and then he immediately takes it off. <laughs> uh, and so then he shows up uh, in Samurai Town. Yeah, and I don't know what prompts it, but it, somewhere in this moment he yells "testicle" mm-hmm. in a really awkward way. I don't yeah. know what prompted that, but because he's telling the governor that he lost his testicle. Yeah, and he screams it for a long time, like mm-hmm. not not a short thing. And then the governor starts quoting Shakespeare, which apparently exists in this world. Is that what he was quoting? Okay. Alas, poor Yorick, isn't that? Oh, uh, right. Shakespeare? No, I remember that now because the, the subtitles, Tandlet, I believe. The subtitles were wrong. Oh, okay. I didn't have <laughs> subtitles, so I couldn't understand like half of what Ratman was saying because he oh, had God. a weird like voice modulation. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I put here, no, none of the cars that were fixed during the montage are here. None of them. So that was seems like a waste. Yep. And and around this point, I felt like they really wanted Nick Cage to be Mad Max. They were going <laughs> for that kind of vibe because, you know, if you've seen the Mad Max movies, you know that he wears leather mm-hmm. and he's got a leg brace. Mm-hmm. So he limps when he walks. Um, there's just a lot of similarities to Mad Max movies. That's it's fair. kind of a post-apocalyptic like desert, you know, area. I don't know. There's I feel like there's a lot and they were really going for that vibe. Uh, I don't think they really got it, but whatever. Um, I think he's wearing the helmet through all this because in my next notice that he has his helmet and the dramatic removal. And then we get like another flashback back to the Ghostlands. I think this is where things started to get a little confusing because then we got another painting exposition. There was a second one? Yes. I don't remember that. It was like a I think it was a flashback to like before he left. I think they yeah, I think they just replayed more... the same scene. Was it? I don't know. I don't I stopped paying attention because I thought it was such a lazy way of doing it. Yeah, I think I think it was just a replay of the same scene, you know, previously on. Maybe. Uh and so next you might have to remind me what this is about. I, I did he just cause a mush, mushroom cloud with his mind? No. So what that was is he was putting together what happened. Okay. And realized that his... Oh, the nuclear thing? So, okay. Actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, this movie is so fucking confusing. Psycho doesn't get shot to death. He gets shot and he gets arrested. He is a prisoner on that bus and he dies in the crash. The crash causes apparently a mushroom-sized explosion. And it levels the factory and everything like that. So that's when he he kind of puts it all together and realizes his friend dies because he's arrested and is on that bus that ends up in the crash. Right. That's what it is. So he's like picturing the explosion. Gotcha. He realizes okay. what happened to cause the ghost land. This is why we have you on this podcast, Eric, because you is. can explain things. So I'm too stupid to figure it out. <laughs> um, so then there's like a back and forth, you know, kind of like hero villain thing happening between the literally governor hero and governor Cage. yeah um 
And yeah, my next note was that governor's dialogue is so bad. Yeah, it hadn't gotten any better at that point. It was still really terrible. Dude, it's so bad. Because like, you know, Hero wants the suit taken off because he bought, brought Bernice back. I mean, which he did do. Yeah. Um, and you know, and she governor, didn't want to go with him. She, she didn't, didn't want to go, go with the governor. So that that is why he's unwilling to do it, because that's, you know, that wasn't really part of the deal, but he's trying to make it part of the deal. Well, because at, at no point do I recall Bernice saying, hey, this isn't actually my grandfather. Right. <laughs> like that kind come, of implied. Like we know that as the viewer because we got to see all the flashbacks and stuff. Right. But like I don't I don't know that Hero ever knows that before the end of the movie. Probably not. So they're having this back and forth and she doesn't want to go with him and he won't unlock Nick Cage's leather suit because uh he she won't go with him um and then the girl that was with the governor and was cracking through this whole movie goes up to a chain gun that's casually mounted nearby and just starts riddling everybody with bullets like just Mm -hmm. starts spraying the crowd of everybody like seemingly no care about who she hits well to be fair like i think she's cool with hitting just about anybody except bernice Right. I think Probably. that's the only person that would that she'd be upset about. It begs because, a lot like, of questions though. Like, why is this chain gun casually mounted someplace where anybody can access it? Why is it always loaded? Why is there not somebody like, you know, supposed to watch this thing to keep any random person from just going up and doing it? Those are normal questions. This yeah. also exists in a town where 90% of the people are there against their will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you would probably not put a chain gun that's freely available to anybody that walks up to it and fully loaded uh, in a town where people that don't want to be there and want to escape might access it. Yeah. But that's what happens. Makes zero sense. So this is where the helmet comes into play. Nick Cage has his helmet back on at this point. And just like many Marvel movies and things (laughs) like that, they put a helmet on the main actor so that they can put a stuntman in that that costume and have them do the fight scenes because it'll look better so you know we've seen cage a lot through this movie fighting and i would not call any of it athletic but then he's like doing crazy kicks and like you know very athletic movements um and and, uh, when i pointed this out to the person i watched it with she was like oh yeah it's like it looks like a completely different person with the helmet on it was actually like for me it was painfully obvious the moment they do the cut yeah. to behind him i'm like that's not even the same shaped person <laughs> no it actually fits the person that is uh yeah it, but yeah if you didn't know that yeah watch for it in movies that like when they put the hel- when a main character puts on a helmet they're probably going to be getting in a fight at some point and they just didn't want the main actor to have to learn that choreography really well it's yeah. one of the things i respect about like john wick for example is that he doesn't yeah. wear a helmet like there's nothing to really hide the stuntman other than like clever camera work and so keanu has to do a lot of that himself and there's other movies that's just the first one that pops into mind well it's, it's one of the reasons that like tom cruise gets a lot of my respect because he does just so many of his own stunts that like i don't even know why the production companies allow it <laughs> to, a, right. to a certain degree right. um, but yeah this is clearly not nick cage yeah and it's when there's intense choreography like it's happening that seems to be especially with older actors that always seems to be able to happen but you gotta like blend it right you can't just have one guy that's like super athletic and then nick cage who can not move that well anymore 
because it's a jarring difference. And I don't think that they wanted that, but with every other stylistic choice they made, maybe that was like the least of their concerns. I don't really know. Well, my, my take on that is that they got like a legit stunt double for him, but like everybody else he has to fight are not stunt doubles. They're just like random dudes with swords. And this is where like the fighting just looks bad. The choreography isn't terrible, but like it's it's not executed well. No, I mean I feel like from the main actor, the whoever the stuntman was for Nick Cage was pretty good. Like his stuff was was well executed and clean, but that every all the extras were like they were in a different movie. Right, and I think that's the real problem is that so it just it, he looked really out of place by comparison to everything else around him. Right. And at some point during this fight, it's revealed that his metal arm that he like scrapped from the junkyard has a katana blade that shoots out of it. The physics of which are never explained because it's actually longer than his forearm. Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, Baraka from the Mortal Kombat movies right. where yeah. or Mortal Kombat games where like the blade is how could it go into his body if it's that long or Wolverine even. You know, like if he, if his blades were that long and retracted back into his arm, how does he bend his elbow? That kind of thing. It's a uh, nanites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, from Ray Palmer. Um, that's a that's an arrow joke for people that follow along at home. Um, but yeah, it's revealed he has a sword arm, so that's relevant because yeah. he gets in a sword fight later, and then he gets kicked in the testicles. The, well, testicle. the testicle. Yeah, and he, we get a really long. <laughs> Jesus. When uh, when he gets kicked in the testicle, watch for that microphone, Derek. That's uh... I don't usually wear a hat while we do this. So, <laughs> um, so th- this is one of the parts where I, one of the only interesting visuals on the sword fight. Interesting. I mean, a lot of the visuals. I don't want to trash on everything. A lot of the visuals were interesting, but this is like one of the most more interesting fight visuals. Nick Cage versus uh, Yoshijiro. Mm-hmm. There's like a. Almost, I think it was like a neon cherry blossom tree of some kind mm. behind them. I don't know. It was, it was, it was. I tend to like cyberpunk looking settings for fights that just, yeah, sure. The way the light hits metal blades and things like that just looks really cool. Um, and so I thought, yeah, that was interesting visually, but the fight itself was not anything crazy. Um, it does seem like the actor that played Yoshijiro had some level of training because he he seemed like he knew what he was doing throughout the whole movie um agreed but again this was another example where like these two characters don't speak to each other but they keep giving each other knowing looks right it's really weird right but none of it's really explained and then yoshijiro puts his sword away so you think it's done then he takes his sword back out so right like to kill him and it's like and he's in samurai town so you you would you kind of get the implication that he's like um, I say modern, whatever time period this is in, type of samurai, right? Like you would have honor. He's doing these things for his person in command. Um, well, he's, he's but at only... this point, it's like super dishonorable. You're putting away your sword and acting like you're not going to fight. Then you're going to like stab the guy in the back when he turns around or something. It's just well, he's uh... not like so. It's it's revealed that he's only there because he agreed to work for the governor in exchange for his sister's freedom. Right. And then the governor never lets his sister free. So he's just there protecting his sister. But working for the governor. But working for the governor and just killing people whenever. Yeah. And he could easily kill the governor and rescue his sister, but apparently he doesn't. Clearly doesn't do that ever. Yeah. So then, you know, that fight happens. And of course, you know, our hero 
is the victor of that fight. Um, and then it goes to there's some other stuff that happens. I don't remember all the logistics of this. We're nearing the end. Nancy um, gets shot, but yeah. she's fine. Then, yeah, Bernice at one point has like a revolver. Yeah. Like a cowboy revolver. Uh-huh. And she fires seven shots out of it, which most people probably don't care about. But it's a six shooter. And it made me laugh that she one fired seven shots out of it. Yeah. Um, which, but 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 what's dis- most distracting about that scene is not the bad math. It's the bad, like, squib reaction work that the governor does. Like, he dies very poorly. Yes. Each shot looks like it didn't really happen. Like, he doesn't know how to react to the fake getting shot. And then we don't even get to see him fall. They just do, like, a quick cut back and forth, and he's just on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Like, maybe this guy was just, he's a little old. Let's not make him fall. We'll just lay him down nicely cut back to him like it was it was really bad it was really bad. it was and my last note is exploding clock right right which is apparently the finale because the whole movie is clock and time based yeah uh, the clock there's is... nothing is really wrapped up other than i guess now the ghost lands is, is free yeah like time continues and so the clock explodes when it reaches the top of the hour or whatever because of course it does yeah yeah and then yeah everybody's free and then you learn that they're in samurai town because hero bernice and nancy are like on like a bus bench or something and they're they they all look like they just realized what movie they agreed to be in that was my takeaway yeah that that's accurate but yeah that's basically the end of the movie so yeah it was something uh yeah that something is bad it was uh, bad. yes i mean i feel like there was some potential there which is what makes me sad i mean the director clearly had a vision uh i just think that there needed to be somebody there to tell him that he's going a little too far and we need to dial it back like mandy had the director had a vision that i didn't always agree with but i respected the fact that he stuck to that vision the whole time and didn't like just try to outdo himself with every scene this one felt like the guy was just trying to outdo himself and like make the viewer feel uncomfortable with every scene um and that isn't really that impressive to me anybody can make somebody feel uncomfortable it's not super hard to do that's fair and mandy actually had a good like a a plot you could follow this one yeah. didn't didn't really have a plot you could follow. There's so much other shit thrown in that but just kind of made thing. it murky. I can explain Mandy to people. It's a weird movie. Mandy is a strange movie. Go listen Absolutely. to our episode on that. Uh, we go into a lot of detail there uh, with a guest on the show and everything. But like this movie, like I've tried to explain it to my wife, and it's just like it's extremely difficult to explain to any level of detail what the hell's going on in this movie. Right. You know, a lot of it is just like these disjointed non sequitur situations. You know, there's the whole like, you know, like I, I keep going back to like, if, if you try and escape the ghost land, she'll get you. She'll get you. And I kept picturing in my head, like in Left 4 Dead 2, the witches or whatever yeah. they're called. Right. Like, that's what I was picturing. And then literally nothing happens. He has this big conf- confrontation with Psycho, the guy who's basically dead because of him. And they don't even fight at all this dude who murdered a bunch of innocent people in a bank 
and it names himself Psycho. It's just like, yeah, man, we're we're cool. We're cool. Everything's yeah. fine. Go on, you're good. Right? Like it just and like, is this the only way out of town is to drive through where the ghosts of the ghost land are? In that case, how do you get in and out of the town to begin with? Like like you said, where, when does this take place? Where does this take place? How much time passes between the bank robbery and the rest of the film? Like, it's just all inexplicable. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I'm just going to be brutally honest. I hated this movie. <laughs> I okay. really, I I mean, really did. I really did. I, I, I compare this movie to Eraserhead. If anybody's ever seen David Lynch's Eraserhead. Uh, both movies make equally as much sense. Uh, the only difference is that this one is at least more eye-catching because Eraserhead is all in black and white and takes place in a fairly drab environment uh, where this obviously is at least stylized and colorful if, if you know, nonsensical. But uh, yeah, man, I... So would you rather watch this movie or Dark Knight Rises? That's That's mean um i would rather watch dark knight rises because at least there's a plot there there's a plot there there's actors yeah uh, that are doing things uh that are interesting um yeah i mean fair enough well i guess we got to rate this thing yeah all right so so here's how we do this for those who don't know real quick we have a cage meter and we have a quality meter they're both zero out of 12 out of 20 zero low 20 high we rank caginess and we rank quality of the film and so um i'm gonna just kind of kick things off because i've already kind of talked a little bit about how i feel about this movie so uh as far as like overall quality is concerned i mean i feel pushed into a corner here because clearly i was too harsh on zombie um and oh, this is the worst movie that we've reviewed so far for you yes Wow. Okay. Of, of all the movies, and I feel really bad because Zondali and Dog Eat Dog, I rated extremely low, and I thought I thought we had found the floor, and okay. I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, so retroactively, I would not have given those two movies a one. I feel bad about that now. Those are incorrect scores. Maybe I'll uh, I'll recant those with a with a different score. But like, I don't even know anymore how to rate these movies because I keep finding worse ones. And while we were looking, you know, so this movie got like a four on IMDb and they, they show some other suggestions. Right. And dude, Jujitsu has a 2.9. <laughs> I can't wait. Right. Which means like this movie's like better. <laughs> I can't wait. I mean, have you read the, the synopsis of Jujitsu? I saw the preview for it uh, a while back. I'm kind of drawing a blank now. We should probably shouldn't go too deep into jujitsu, but yeah, it's basically allegedly about Nick Cage, who's a master jujitsu fighter that has to fight aliens. At least that's the gist I got from uh, yeah, jujitsu is the only way to fight the aliens, apparently. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that movie, but if it's worse than this, that makes it even better. So, yeah, you're in a corner because you, how are you gonna rate that worse than this if it is, in fact, worse than this, right? So, like, I just feel I feel stuck. Right. I feel I feel like I've already rated a couple of movies too low and I just feel backed into a corner here. So I think what I just kind of have to do is just kind of bite that bullet retroactively and say that I'm giving this a two. OK, so Zandali is still worse. Apparently. Zand no, Zandali and Doggy Dog 
would be a three in this new scale that I've learned. This is episode 19 of the show after watching 19 movies. I think we can feel fair to adjust movies. I don't think that's a problem. I I think I have to. I think I was too harsh. I'm okay with that. Because I can explain Zondali. I can explain Dog Eat Dog. And I would watch both of those movies before I ever watch this one again. So, So I'm giving this one a two with those two movies being bumped all the way up to threes. I would so. give it a three, so I feel like we were pretty close. I didn't okay. think it was as bad as you did. I don't think for me it was worse than Zondali, uh, because of the weird like sexual, uh, rapey feeling stuff in Zondali. That really was, that's bad. You know, at least that's, this movie didn't yeah. have that. That's fair. Um, and the testicle bombs and just the general caginess of this movie made it a little bit better for me. So, uh, yeah, I was going to say three. So I guess we're at a 2.5. So that'll still give you room. Yeah, we got a little to, bit. Of... Uh, <laughs> to go from, uh, yeah. A little bit of yeah. wiggle. I think after after episode 20, maybe we can just kind of do a, a slight adjustment map for our cage meter I think that's fair. Um, so, all right. So you were talking about caginess. Let's talk caginess. Where would you rank this as far as caginess I mean, it's goes? pretty high. It is. Um, you know, seeing him get a testicle blown out not blown off or blown off, but not blown up. It's not something I thought I would ever see as well as his reaction. Plus like the minute and a half straight cage face that we got. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I feel like this has got to be like a 15 or a 16. Okay. What do well, you what, think? Which one, which one are you giving it? 15 or 16? I don't know. Where are you at? Let's discuss it. This one's all about. Okay. All right. So like, so mine, I, I was going to put it probably a little bit, a little bit up there too. I don't know that it's the cagiest that that we've seen yet you know he's pretty cagey of course and you know unbearable weight uh he's pretty cagey and mandy and moonstruck um yeah where did we put where did we put mandy and moonstruck so you put mandy and moonstruck both both at 17s i put them at 16 and 15 uh so we were kind of in the ballpark uh you gave him a 14 and unbearable weight i gave him an 18 and unbearable weight so we're a little bit off there i gave him a little bit to be uh, fair, that was our first movie we ever reviewed on was. this podcast, so things are a little odd with that. I mean, we gave Leaving Las Vegas a 15. Um, I feel like this is definitely more than that. Yeah, but less than uh, some of the other ones you mentioned. I feel like it's less KG than Mandy. Right, but so I think I have to give it a 16 and tie it with Mandy. So we're about the same, yeah. But so 16s for that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay, so 16 on Caginess, two and a half on quality. Yeah, that's um, going to be like its own category i feel like or it's gonna be like in its own spot because most of the kg ones we've done have been decent movies that we've enjoyed right well, i know decent yeah. movies maybe that like leaving las vegas i didn't enjoy that much but it was a good movie for what it was no i agree uh let's kind of see let's see where this this falls so it gets a uh 2.5 on quality and come on, 2.5 on quality and a 16 on caginess puts it yeah, way up. So it is it is the top leftmost film. What's the closest at this thing point? to it? Uh, let's see. What movie is that? Uh, that is... Oh, there it is. Oh, Zondali. Okay. That's yeah. that's fitting, I feel like. Zondali is the only it other movie stuff. in that quadrant. So, that's funny. So there you go. Low quality, high caginess is only those two movies right now. But I think we're, you know, our next episode is episode 20. Maybe you and I sit down and kind of talk about any adjustments we might want on these scores. I think that's fair. 
Uh, last bit of business we have to do is add a new movie to our wheel of cage. We have 18 movies on our wheel. We're now removing Prisoners of the Ghostland, and we're replacing it with Adaptation. Okay, that's a Oscar nominee, I think. I I've think always wanted to watch that one. I never got around to it, so that's exciting. So uh, go to comingofcage.com to find all of our episodes and the latest spin on the Wheel of Cage to find out which movie we'll be talking about next time for episode 20 of the show. I am Derek. You can find me out on the social media verse as well. Ryan, any la- last words on Prisoners of the Ghostland? Yeah. Uh, watch it if you want to watch a really like genuinely bad, not fun bad, uh, but very cagey movie. Yeah, There you go. So that's it. That's us coming of cage podcast, coming of cage.com at coming of cage. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time.